0: tonight, I thank you for the opportunity, even in, in meeting new new friends, new brothers and sisters, but Lord, in Christ, in his gospel, it is true that we can have more in common, more of a shared story together through the gospel of Jesus Christ than we do with brothers and sisters from our fleshly families who do not know you. Thank you for the covenant of the gospel that joins us and makes us one. Thank you for how gracious you've been to this church. Thank you that, that your spirit comes to us and draws us to Jesus and meets us in all seasons and loves us at all times. Lord, we come having confessed our sin and now confessing that there is so much stress in our lives, jobs that we're afraid of losing or have lost, bank accounts that are stressed, Marriages that are stressed, bodies that are stressed. We experience brokenness every day as the challenges and sufferings can seem like they are going to overwhelm us. Lord, thank you that that well before any of this happened, you knew all things. And you desire to show us yourself through all things. Your goodness, your might, your mercy. Remind us that we don't look for a home here but rather the stresses and the struggles of this world remind us that there is a city yet to come. There is a new day yet to come when Jesus will make all things new. So thank you for the real hope that you give, even when hope comes in the midst of of hot tears streaming down our cheeks. Lord, help us as true brothers and sisters to collapse into each other's arms and, and to look for strength And help us to find that strength, that comfort, that peace together in you and in you alone. Thank you, Lord, that as the perfect Lord and Savior, you give both tears and comfort. So, Lord, in our worship tonight, in our time in your word, would you consume us and convince us of Jesus Christ? as you showed your disciples on on the road as you walked with them and, and taught them from Moses and all of the prophets and all of the scriptures. So Lord, show us yourself in every part of scripture and the need of you in every part of our lives. Speak to us. Reveal yourself to us and it is enough. And may we in response run to your mercy and your grace feasting on you and responding to you as a bride to her beloved bridegroom. Lord, break us where we need breaking. And then send us out among people and nations, the nations of this world, with a glad assurance and confidence that our God truly is making all things new. We pray all of this by Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Brian told me I'll typically go from about six to seven. I notice that it's about six twenty-six, so that gives me a little few extra minutes to preach, right? So, so. Um, brothers and sisters, if you would, would you turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew, Matthew chapter nine? We're going to read, be reading verses thirty-five to thirty-eight tonight. And as you turn, I'll tell you that a little bit more of my story. It is for Stephanie me it is surreal, coming back to Mississippi, now Stephanie was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, in South Jackson there, so I, I, while I, while Alabama was my home, I came back to the land of my father's to find a bride, a little bit like Jacob or you know, and so i mm-hmm. um, married a Jackson girl, um, but like I said, I was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama, but I, my family roots are all South Mississippi, my mom was Brookhaven in Port Gibson. My dad was Laurel, Bay Springs. There used to be a Horn Motor Company in Bay Springs that was our family and connected to us. And, um, and I had cousins in faraway places like Macomb, Mississippi. We've got family all through this area. Many of them have moved away now, but we've got roots all through this area. And, and it is good to be back. And so tonight, as we began, as we begin to ask together, what is God doing and, and why does He have us here and where is He sending Stephanie me, where is He sending this church? I, I want to encourage you, what does God want to do to, with this church? What is his, his message that we are to take to this world? Or, or, or let me put it like this, I, I think I'm, I'm just... Getting to know you, I'm meeting you. But if if I just sort of walked up to you out of out of the blue and said, "Do you love Jesus?" I I hope that most of you who are here on a Sunday night at church, of course, of course, I love Jesus. Well, do you love the things He loves? If we're going to love Jesus, we have to have the heart of Jesus. We have to love the things He loves. And of course, Jesus loves the church. The church is His body. The church is his bride, his family. It was for the church that Jesus gave his life. And tonight I want to take that idea and I want to turn it outward. Because if Jesus loves the bride in his body, he also loves the the lost. And he loves bringing them into his church. Um, I want to look outward at the heart of Jesus for those around us. And I know... To start talking about evangelism, things like that can, can make us shift uncomfortably. Most of us feel like evangelism is, is a great idea for somebody else to do. But we're not allowed to do that if we're called the followers of Jesus. My friends, in the, in the view of the mercy of God, it is our responsibility to follow Jesus in everything he commanded us to do and to follow in the the footsteps of our Savior. So I want to invite you to look with me at this text today, Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, that speaks of the heart of our Savior, a heart that I pray will mark each of us. Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, this is the Word of God. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, would you come and would you bless the moments tonight? Most of all, would you open your word to your people? Would you let us know the reason for which you gave it? And would you let each of us come under its rule and its authority and power? Lord, would you absolutely remove the messenger tonight? Let me fade completely to the background, and may it be your message—the message of your gospel, the message of your word—that changes each of us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Recently, we saw in the news where the the war in Afghanistan drew down and we withdrew our forces. I I don't bring that up to bring any politics into this pulpit. That is not my point. But while the war was at its height, one of the fiercest battles in the entire war of Afghanistan was the Battle of the Ganjgal Valley. It was a textbook ambush. American Marines and support personnel walked into a valley that was surrounded by mountains on three sides and walked into a a village that was a dead-end village at the end of that valley. And immediately they came under withering, horrible fire from above. Four Marines died immediately. And it would have been many more if it weren't for the actions of Dakota Meyer. After the Marines pulled back from the village and pulled back from the ambush, they realized that that four of them, uh, 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 three Marines and a Navy corpsman, had been left behind in the village. And seeing the situation and seeing the danger, Dakota Meyer ran back into the fight, um, ran into the village, found the men who had all been killed and pulled their bodies out of further harm's way. And then he did... Then came the amazing part. Time after time again... He ran back, back in, where men were pinned down. Time after time, he exposed himself to machine gun fire and mortar fire and drew the fire of the enemy so that his brothers-in-arms could withdraw and be safe. Time after time, he went back, uh, rescuing the wounded, pulling others to safety, placing himself in danger that others could be rescued. Speaking of it later, he said, I knew That I was going to die, but I had to go because those men were depending on me. We marvel at that kind of courage. We give medals for that kind of courage. Dakota Meyer received the Medal of Honor having survived the battle. But I want to speak to you tonight of an even greater hero, an even greater rescuer, one who on purpose went where he would have otherwise not wanted to go. And one who willingly exposed himself to the attacks of the enemy, knowing that he would die. One who was willing to die in order to provide escape and rescue for those that he loved. Those whom he knew were pinned down and helpless and dying under the attacks of a deadly enemy. And in, and in looking at that hero, I want to see how, how he points the way. How we are to walk in his footsteps. How we are to be running to people. Running not from them, but, but warning them of the danger and the reality of sin. That, that we know what awaits them. We know the ambush they are walking into in this life and in the life to come. And we, we are called by our Savior to be incredibly loving and compassionate and welcoming and rescuing of people whose lives are broken, of people who have been wounded, they are lost and so far from God, people who are afraid that, that we will reject them as sinners, be, and too often they're afraid of that for good reason. Because it's what they've known from the church and from Christians. So they don't come in. They don't share with us. They don't come to our churches. They don't look for healing, even though we know it can be found here. And so ultimately tonight, I want to speak to you of how we can go to them with life-saving intent. How we as a church are to carry the words of Jesus with the ways of Jesus. And how we're to go forward and outward to those who are harassed and helpless and lost. It begins with the call to see the lost. Let me say that up front. Uh, My goal tonight is is not to offend. I, I want you to invite me back. I want you to like me, okay? My goal is not to offend but I'm going to have to say some things tonight by the authority of this text that, that may step on toes. I promise you they step on my own first. We who, who so often speak of wanting the lost to be saved, but then we live lives that are too busy for us to really stop and take notice. Not so with Jesus. Look at how this text opens. Verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages Teaching in their synagogues. By the way, other places in the Gospel, Mark and other places, what was he teaching? He was teaching the Gospel. He was teaching the good news of the Kingdom. It says here, proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus goes through the towns teaching, healing, rescuing, touching, feeling. Why why did he do that? Well, as Jesus goes, word gets out and the sick come. Here is a man who can heal disease. Here is a man who has hope. And he heals them. Why? Because he cares for them. In seminary Brian and I—I guarantee you—you you had a cl- ta- studying the miracles of Jesus and how it was revealing and an eschatological re- reality and all those signs and symbols and Jesus did, and all of that is true for why Jesus did miracles. But there was a more fundamental reason too. He cared for hurting. And he was willing to touch them. The leper that nobody else would, he was willing to touch. He was willing to embrace. He was willing to to have others around around them that, that other people would shun and run away from. And Jesus would come, and he cared. But he knows, Jesus also knew that he could heal the people of all of their diseases. He could heal them of everything that they struggled with in this life. And they would still eventually die And go to hell. He could could heal them of everything that they felt was wrong. But if He didn't address the soul issues, they would still have no hope. And so, but if they would hear the good news of the gospel. If they would know the good news of the kingdom. Though they would have troubles in this life, they will live forever with God. And so as Jesus looked at the crowds, He is moved. By what he sees. I want us, I want us in, to wonder in comparison, how do we respond when we see the crowds around us? When we pass by every day, the people in traffic or the people in the store or the people at work or the people in our, in our neighborhoods, so many times we don't really see them at all. At our soccer games, at our, at our school meetings... The the neighbor that we pass every day and we wave and then go into our garage and and close the door. Do we ever really stop to consider the eternal destiny of the people around us? Think with me a moment of for a moment of the parable of the great of the Good Samaritan. You know that parable. It's from from Luke ten. We won't turn there right now. You you know it with me, it's so familiar. Here's this man who's beaten up and, and in the ditch at the very brink of death. And, and two religious people, a priest and a Levite, they come passing by and they, they move over. They get as far away as they can and they won't help him. There's something you need to know about the parable. The priest and the Levite were not bad men. They were busy men. They were, there were lots of reasons why what they did was reasonable. This man was beaten and near death. And there was a law against a, preach, uh, a priest ever, ever touching a dead body. And a Levite as well. That if they had become involved, there could have been severe consequences. They would have been called unclean. Imagine being a religious leader and now you've got to line up with all the other unclean people outside the temple to receive the sacrifices and the red heifer and the purification because now you're unclean. How embarrassing would that be for people to turn around and go, you're a priest. Why are you out here with them? The point is this. It would have it been expensive. They would have missed work. It would have cost for the sacrifices. So in the end, they pass right by this hurting man. They pretend not to see. They pretend not to hear his cries for help. The point is this. Again, it's not that they were bad. It's that their system made it easy to do so. And brothers and sisters, our system does the same thing. There's always a reason not to stop. There's always a reason not to pull over, not to get involved. It's, it's always the wrong time. It's, it, there's, we're always so busy. Uh, I, I, took, I was with my kids uh, the past two years in Atlanta at the beginning of each new year for a student conference there by an organization called the Passion Organization. And it was the Passion Student Conference. Uh, the year before COVID hit, 65,000 college students worshiping jesus there in the stadium in atlanta it was an incredible sight Sixty-five thousand students praising jesus worshiping jesus diving into jesus's word it was incredible and every night as we left to walk back to our hotel you know what we walked past you ever been in downtown atlanta the panhandlers the people looking for help and the people who who were saying hey do you have a dollar to spare And, you know, in a situation like that, it's often you don't really want to give money. But often in situations like like that, I'll say, well, hey, I'll I'll buy you something to eat or whatever. And maybe they want that, maybe they don't. Maybe they're just looking for for a dollar to go buy some more schnapps. The point is not what they're going to do with it. I was very aware of, here I was with my kids. I'm a pastor with his four kids. It doesn't get more self-righteous than this. We're spending New Year's worshiping Jesus in Atlanta. I was very aware each night what do we do what do we do with the needs and the brokenness around us and I know you might be thinking well, well if you stop with every one of them it's all you're going to do all, all the time look I, I get it we're, we're all busy how often we like the 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 priest in the story we we can go out of our way to pass by the other side because we are so so busy I, I'm busy too look there's there's jobs and there's bills to pay and there's sick kids and there's, there's always something and we've got, to be, we've got to get busy with the things that we have to do. I, I understand. But there we are. I, again, in that sitting, setting, we had our, our Bibles and our T-shirts and our Praise Jesus stickers. What were we willing to do? Will we proclaim that we know Jesus and love him, and then pass right by those in physical need, economic need, spiritual need. How often do we refuse to see? How often do we refuse to hear? Or how seldom do we really take time to reach out and connect with those who are so spiritually broken around us and lying in a ditch? What is the reason that that God has us here in this world? What does he want for his church? What is our purpose in this life? Well, if you are a good reformed person, when I, when I start asking those questions, you should perk up. What does our confession say? What is the chief end of man? To know God and, and glorify him and enjoy him forever. To be in this relationship with God forever. To, to, to glorify him in all that we do by knowing him And making him known. And I wonder, will we really do it? Outside the walls of the church. Will we take the time away from our pursuit of things that are not eternal? Look, Brian alluded to it a minute ago. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. That is the Mecca. That and Tuscaloosa are the Mecca of the football universe right now everybody in Birmingham is following the right team, okay? And everybody gets excited about it, and everybody follows and knows what happens on Saturday, and, and, and it's their passion, it's their life. And what I'm about to say would be heresy in Alabama, but the, whether or not the university wins another national championship does not matter for eternity. The things that we spend so much time and so much pursuit, and spend so much money, they will blow away like dust. Will we risk it all to invest in eternity in those around us? And yes, it starts with our families. And yes, it starts with our children. But it's also eternity in the lives of the people that we pass by every day. They may be strangers to us, but they are not to God. They they are made in His image and they are precious to Him. Jesus looked at them and and He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and He had compassion on them. Are we willing to do that? And then are we willing to let our hearts break for them as Jesus' heart breaks for them? Let me allude to the story of the the Good Samaritan again. Why did the Samaritan stop when others passed by? He saw the man lying in the ditch. He was was beaten and he was bloodied. He heard his cry. and, And in Luke 10, it says that stopping, he had compassion. It's the exact same word that is used for our Savior here our Savior, who is, of course, the ultimate good Samaritan. Here in Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's what I've been quoting. It is the same word. When Jesus saw them, when He he saw what they were like, when He saw what their daily reality was, when He saw their hurts, Jesus really saw and he saw them for what they were and, and who they were. And seeing them, he had compassion on them. Literally, literally, the translation there is Jesus was broken hearted for them. When was the last time our hearts broke for the lost? Jesus really cared. And that's what makes all the difference. What about me? I, I'm a pastor. I have degrees. I have I have in my office. I have this is how holy I am. I have a master of divinity. Okay, I'm not I'm not just divine. I have a master of divinity, okay? I've mastered it. All right? I've passed the exams. I've been credentialed for presbyteries now. Passed them right through. It doesn't mean a hill of beans. I don't have the eyes and the heart and the compassion of Jesus Christ nor does it for you so many times we just see people as passing objects maybe passing avatars we don't really take the time Time to consider what they're going through. Time to really hear. Time to really listen. We listen to them while formulating our responses, telling them what they just need to do to get their lives back in order rather than really listening to hear them. My friends, a biblical Christian understands that people are are eternal and that people are fallen. We are all, by nature, sinful and evil, and in rebellion from God, separated from God because we are sinners. We all in our sin were enemies from God. And as Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, they were alone, they were wandering, they were in great danger. And in John 10, Jesus says there is an enemy of the sheep, right in the John 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. Right before that, he says, there is one who will come to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus knows that's what faces us apart from his rescue in the gospel. My, hand, my friends, please please hear me say this. I know it is a, it is a hard world out there. I know, with my kids, sometimes I'm trying to help them be discerning and, and to look and to see. And we look and sometimes we go, what on earth are people thinking? Can I quote the great R.C. Sproul, who is known for the phrase, what is wrong with you people? And we see the lost around us, and we, and we think, why? Hear me say this, my friends. The lost are not the enemy. There is an enemy who will steal and kill and destroy. The lost are not our enemy. They may hate us, they may reject us, they may come against us, but they are not the enemy. Even even when they, even when they slam the door or the relationship in our face, when well, we look in biblical terms, look, how does the Bible talk about them? It doesn't say that they are the enemy, it says that they, they are lost and blind and dead in their sins. If you pass by a lost and blind person on the street, would you think that guy's my enemy? Would you think he needs help? Do we care? Are we willing to have compassion on them? One of my favorite verses, and one of the verses that I'm already praying for our, our work in Ocean Springs is 1 Thessalonians 2 8 that says, we loved you enough to share not only the gospel with you. It begins with that. We share the gospel, but our lives as well. We loved you enough to let you into our lives. We loved you enough to let you into our homes, to walk where you walk, to hurt where you hurt, to bring brokenness together that we could all run to the Savior together. Are we willing to do that? And I know, again, you might say, but Mark, don't you see what's going on on the news? Don't, don't you know how crazy it is out there? Or, 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 even, or even locally. You, you wouldn't believe what my neighbor said or what my neighbor did you know, what my, the things my neighbor's putting up for Halloween and the things that are going on. Yes, I would. I would believe it. And Jesus said it is for the lost sheep of this world that he came to die. What about us? Are we willing to die to ourselves? To our comfort, to our agendas, to our schedules? Are we willing to really see? and to really hear, and to really care. Will we have compassion on them? Brothers and sisters, can I I be, we're we're new friends. Can I be honest with you tonight? Can I be real with you tonight? I don't consider myself a great evangelist. I'm asking you to call me and send me as a missionary and evangelist to Ocean Springs, and I don't consider myself a great evangelist. But what the Lord has given me by His grace is an ability to be approachable to guys like Emil, who will trust me with their story and who I can listen and there's, there's just something that the Lord has given there that I connect with people and, and the ability for them to come to me and to feel like they can share and to feel like I care. Can I be honest with you further? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes after a long week of ministry, Sometimes after carrying other people's burdens, preaching the gospel and studying and counseling, sometimes I just want a day off. Last summer, um, we, we had, um, long story short, but so we, we, Stephanie and I drive the world's coolest minivan. Okay. In other words, we don't drive a cool car. Okay. But last summer, someone, we were driving down the road in Birmingham, and somebody, it was probably an Auburn fan, turned into us and hit us, smashed our minivan. And so, you know, it's got to be repaired. And so we put it in the repair shop. The insurance company says, hey, we'll get you a new rental car. And they, we went to pick it up, and they said, they said um, here's your new minivan that you can rent. And I said, oh, no. No no no, we're repairing a minivan. What else you got? They put us in an Audi 50,000 whatever sports car and for one month Stephanie and I got to drive not a minivan but an Audi sports car. It was the souped up model, went from 0 to 1000 in about 2 seconds. It was an incredible car. I, man, I was having fun. The week we had to give it back was just one of those weeks in ministry everything had gone wrong it just i was broken the people around me were broken the church had hurt us you know it just it just sometimes sometimes christians can be the hardest people to hang around you know what i'm saying and so i knew that i had to give the car back the next day and i looked at stephanie i said i'm going for a drive she didn't know how far we live in birmingham panama city is four and a half hours away i made it in about two okay okay but in, in just trying to get out of town, trying to escape, I got on the road, and I, was, I didn't really make it into, okay, a little hyperbole there, but I was just putting this car through its paces, and I was going to go to the beach. But I had to stop for gas in Montgomery, Alabama, pulled over in the wrong part of town, went to get gas. I didn't even have the, the pump, the nozzle off the machine and into the car before I had a guy walking up. And going, hey man, can I, and and I just looked, I sort of growled at him, you know, with, with my background and some of the work I've done, if I want to, I can get a little mean, and I just sort of, I don't know. Don't approach me. Pushed him back. Filled up the car. And with every drop of gasoline going in, the guilt was coming on more and more. What would Jesus have done? How would Jesus have responded? The guy had just sort of shuffled off. He didn't he didn't push it anymore. He just shuffled off. And I went to him and said, Brother, I'm sorry. Can I buy you something to eat? And I got him a sandwich and we talked for a second. And then he said, So what do you do? Can I just tell you in that moment, would it have been holy for me to lie? I wanted to lie so bad. I said, I'm a pastor and I'm sorry for how I treated you. And we talked, and we shared his stories together, and and then he went his way. My friends, I I say that to confess to you that, that so often I can blow it too. But will we learn to seek their stories? Will we learn to ask the questions? Will we learn to really answer? When eternity hangs in the balance, and they are crying out. They, like I said about Ocean Springs, they may not know that there's a Savior, but they know that they are lost, and they're saying, is there anybody out there? I, I've, I've been with the deputy whose wife just left him while he was on a shift and cleared out his, his house while he was gone, and he came home to an empty marriage and an empty house. I've been there in the Waffle House where the waitress who was serving me a, a late-night breakfast... Ended up sharing her life story of of pain and how she just brought her 12-year-old daughter to live with her because, excuse me, her 12-year-old granddaughter to live with her because her kids were hooked on drugs and her granddaughter had started cutting herself and hurting herself and she wanted to help. And she literally said out loud, could Jesus love me and my family after all that we have done? My friends, when they will feel like we will start to care, when they feel like we will really stop and listen, then they will unburden themselves. Try it sometime. They will trust you like you wouldn't believe. The image of God is crying out in the lives of people around us, and we've missed it. Are we willing to stop, to slow down, to really hear? I should warn you, if, if you are, If you do, it will get messy. People out there in this world, they won't come to you as neat, wrapped up packages, just ready to to recite the Westminster Confession of Faith. They will be broken and they will be needy. They They will be self defeating and they will make frustrating choices and it will be hard. Hear me on that. It will get messy work we're going to in Ocean Springs. I don't expect to always be sunshine and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. It will get messy. It will be if you choose to engage the lost anyway. They will not talk like us. They will not sound like us. They will often not smell like us. They might get mud and blood on our carpet and on our lives. And it may be that they are doing that for the specific reason to see how you will respond. Will you respond with the love of of Jesus or will you be like all the other religious people that they've known who simply reject them in judgment for their sin will we be like that or will we look with the eyes of Jesus and with the heart of Jesus in a rushed and hectic world will we realize that our calling as Christians is to love the lost with the love of our Savior August 6th, 1945, a little girl named Machiko was walking with her school friends down the street, holding hands, walking one of those single file lines, and they turned the corner of a building in Hiroshima, Japan, and in a moment, her friends were gone. But Machika was still around the corner of the building, so she was shielded from the initial blast. But then the heat and the fire came and burned her severely. And afterwards, when the, when the newsreels came and when the, when the rescue workers came and the images were there, and of course a nation knew. This nation knew what had caused that. They knew of Pearl Harbor. They knew of the Bataan death march. They knew of the atrocities that had been done. But when a nation saw the images of this little girl that had been damaged so severely, the cries went out for rescue, for deliverance, for healing. And she was brought to this nation and given care that her life would be saved. Brothers and sisters, that was for a fire that would last for moments. We know of a fire that will last for eternity. We know of the eternal destinies that lie ahead for the people that are around us every day. We who follow Jesus, we, we feel the effects now and we know of the knowledge of what really lies ahead for people. If you had been there on the street watching Machiko and her friends, what would you have done? You would have said, Run! Run, for the fire is coming. May we who follow Jesus do no less. May we we be willing to go and to hear, to listen, and to love. Our God in compassion speaks no less through you in this world to see them, to have compassion on them, and to say it doesn't have to be that way. So run from the fire and run to the cross and run to the Savior. Will you pray with me? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thank you that you are the one who shows the way. You came and you saw the crowds and you had compassion. You said pray. Pray. Pray that the Lord would send people to save them. And then you showed the way by by going to the cross and paying for our sins so that we and those around us could be delivered, Mm -hmm. so that we could find a Savior, so that we could be made new and rescued. Lord, may those of us who call your name be willing to walk. Give us the grace. Give us the power to obey. It's in your name that we pray.